Welcome to Book Shrine. I'm Mary. I'm Lalik, and this is your weekly review. General disclaimer here, while we do try to keep spoilers to a minimum, you may incur some spoilers during the episode. Please proceed with caution. Thank you for joining us this week as we talk about our latest reads and determine if they're worthy enough to be placed on our shrine. Let's get to it. This week I read <laughs> The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. Okay. In every book we read, no one ever thought anything bad was happening until it was too late. Patricia Campbell's life has never felt smaller. Her husband is a workaholic. Her teenage kids have their own lives, her senile mother-in-law needs constant care, and she always has a step behind on her endless to-do list. The only thing keeping her sane is her book club, a close-knit group of Charleston women united by their love of true crime. At these meetings, they're as likely to talk about the Manson family as they are about their own families. One evening after book club, Patricia is viciously attacked by an elderly neighbor, bringing the neighbor's handsome nephew, James Harris, into her life. James is well-traveled and well-read, and he makes Patricia feel things she hasn't felt in years. But when children on the other side of town go missing, their deaths written off by local police, Patricia has reason to believe James Harris is more of a Bundy than a Brad Pitt. The real problem? James is a monster of a different kind, and Patricia has already invited him in. Little by little, James will insinuate himself into Patricia's life and try to take everything she took for granted, including the book club. But she won't surrender without a fight in this blood-soaked tale of neighborly kindness gone wrong. Okay. I like, uh, I like that summary. I really like the part where it says, uh, but she's already invite- invited him in. Yeah. And I like that little bit because, you know, vampires need to invite. Because we know what that means. <laughs> Um, was this a special edition of the book you got or something? Why? No, it wasn't, but why? Because that's not what's on Goodreads. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, what link did I send you? Let's look at this. Oh, that's not good. It is on Amazon, though. Well, what I have, the it's on the book. Oh. Well, I mean, it, it's a dust jacket, but because I have a hardcover, but I bought it off Amazon. Well, that is the Amazon thing. Why do people do this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little, like, flabbergasted by this. Well, look, here's, here's one here. It says, this edition is the hardcover April 7, 2020 by Quirk Books. Well, I don't know what's the difference because this is Quirk Books. Patricia has always planned for a life, a big life, but after giving up her career as a nurse to marry an ambitious doctor and become a mother has never felt smaller. Wow, the like the other one didn't even talk about her having kids. Well, yes, I, I did say there's her husband is a workaholic, her teenage kids have their own lives. But, 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 let's read the Goodreads one. Okay, so on Goodreads it says, Fry green tomatoes and steel magnolias meet Dracula in this southern-flavored supernatural thriller set in the 90s about a woman's book club that must protect its suburban community from a mysterious and handsome stranger who turns out to be a blood-sucking fiend. 
Patricia Campbell had always planned for a big life, but after giving up her career as a nurse to marry an, an ambitious doctor and become a mother, Patricia's life has never felt smaller. The days are longer, her kids are ungrateful, her husband is distant, and her to-do list is never really done. The one thing she has to look forward to is her book club, a group of Charleston mothers united only by their love for true crime and suspenseful fiction. In these meetings, they're more likely to discuss the FBI's recent siege of, of Waco as much as the ups and downs of marriage and motherhood. But when an artistic insistent of stranger moves into the neighborhood, the book club's meeting turn into speculation about the newcomer. Patricia is initially attracted to him, but when some local children go missing, she starts to suspect the newcomer is in, the newcomer is involved. She begins her own investigation, assuming that he's a Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy. What she uncovers is far more terrifying, and soon she and her book club are the only people standing between the monster they've invited into their home and their unsuspecting community. Okay. So pretty much everything you read and everything I read is, it, it's a perfect summary for the book. Like, I like yours though better. What, what do you like about mine better? I don't know. It just, this one talk. Look, this one went into a little more detail about her family. Yeah. But the one I have talked more about the missing children from the other side of town. This one also kind of focuses on um, Patricia and the book club solving the murders more so than Patricia just like the other one felt more Patricia focused. Okay. Yes. The book is more Patricia focused. Yeah. Which is what I felt like the title was a little mis well, it kind of misleading. Yeah, actually the title is a bit misleading. Oh, I'll because say. you thought it was gonna be about a a group of people. I mean right. it is it does have a group of people, but it is about Patricia. It the whole story is narrated like is narrated by Patricia. Ah. Which She's the housewife in the South, and her husband is always working. She's dealing with a mother-in-law who has dementia. Does she have dementia or senile? I think she has dementia. I don't know if they're the same thing, actually. And um, and obviously her kids are teenagers who, what's the word? <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here. But they're not so nice, those teenage kids. So this one... I mean, the, this, the second one, the one that I read that kind of goes more into her life, I guess, is important for the story. Yeah. But then she does, obviously, she's joining this book club where they do read true crime stories, like books. And I'm going to get into that because I love that aspect of this book. So they were reading books like Helter Skelter, which is a book I read last year. They were reading... Um, Stranger Beside Me, which is another book I read last year. So this book was just hitting home for me. It was just, it's just everything I love. So it was great. So they, their taste in books was is similar to my taste in books. So, and, and the author did go into talking about the book. So the book club did discuss the books that they were reading. So I enjoyed that part a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was really nice. 
And so one night after a book club, she's going home, Patricia, and she gets attacked by her neighbor, her really like old neighbor. And the way she gets attacked, it was kind of vicious to the point that her uh, she bites her earlobe off. So oh. there's a yeah. Oh, I should say I should also mention this book is very gory, and we'll get into that. Okay. Well, well, before you finish the um... story. Yeah, the story here. Let's just take a second and oh, go cover. over the cover. Yeah. Yes, because, oh, man, the cover. Okay, there's two peaches, right? Yep. And one of them has a bite mark with the blood running. Now, and, and oh, my God, the green. Okay, I, I will discuss the green. But this whole peach obviously doesn't make sense to you, kind of, does it? Well, no, it makes sense to me. Why? Well, because it just says Southern. So my first thought is, uh, which one of those states is the Southern? Is the peach? Georgia? Georgia, but this isn't Georgia. Well, this is I, South Carolina, right? Is it? Where's Charleston? Know. Oh, Charleston? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's South Carolina. Yeah, so, no, it, it, I know, like, you're right, but no. It actually has a story. And in the book, oh, I didn't notice... The cover, like I noticed the cover because it's beautiful and it, it draws you in. But yeah, I like that. It has a meaning with the book, and it, it it just it's intense when you find out what it is. Are you? Is this something you're gonna actually say? No. Or? No. no. Okay. No, okay. it's something you gotta read and find out. Right. Right. Of course. <laughs> Silly me. Silly you thinking I'm gonna tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> So it has a dust jacket. When you take the dust jacket off, the book is like green, light green, like kind of lime green. And then there's a stamp on it. And it says town of Mount Pleasant, which is where they're from, South Carolina. And it says public library, 4436. And it's like etched into the book. And I love that because it's because they go through so many books as a book club. So it feels like this book came from a library, which, by the way, doesn't exist. Well, I like that also because you mentioned how they go over the, like, they actually mm -hmm. go over some books like an actual um, book club. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, I like that type of attention to detail and that immersion into the story. And just to make your, the, the you know, the book's world real. And not only that, there's like when when they're gonna when they're in a book club, like when they're in the book club and they're talking about the book, the pay the chapter that chapter right before it starts, it's it's a black page and it has the title of the book, and I believe when it came out. So um, one of them is like Helter Skelter, which is about the Manson family, and it says. Like, it's a black page, and it says Helter Skelter in white, and it says May 1993. And then as you turn the page, they're in the book club talking about the book Helter Skelter. And then there's a few of those, like, which is, like, this, The Stranger Beside Me, which is the Anne Rule book, who, by the way, you should read this book. Anne Rule um, was Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy and Anne Rule were friends. And... She writes about that, and she's actually a true crime writer. She's been a true crime writer, and she never even knew that Ted Bundy was a serial killer. She couldn't believe wow. it. Wow. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting story. You should read into it. Maybe so, I will. Or and maybe then I'll they, watch Daily Syria. Oh, yeah, you could do that too. But it's it's not, they don't only talk about true crime. They also talk about books like Psycho. Um, I don't know what clear and present danger is, to be honest with you. But they talk about men are from Mars, women are from Venus. So there, they have quite a few, like, in cold blood. And then I think that's it. But they have, it's good. And yes, Grady yes. Hendrix is a man. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, just because I was at the end of the page and I saw his portrait, <laughs> which is a funny portrait. Hey, where were we? So she gets attacked. And the woman bites off a piece of her earlobe. And then she ends up in the hospital. Not, well, they both, do they both end up in the hospital? But the older woman ends up dying. Her nephew moves into her house after she dies. And that's James Harris. Why did the neighbor bite her earlobe? Well, we don't know. <laughs> or you know, and again, you're just like, <laughs> okay. And listen, this is a supernatural thriller. I can't just give you these answers. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm just trying to make sense of why all of a sudden she would bite homegirl. But that's girl. the thing though. She is like she's walking in her safe suburban white neighborhood and all of a sudden she gets attacked by this elderly neighbor like her next door neighbor who she's known. Well, they're not friends or anything, but you know they know each other and she gets attacked by her, but it's not just like it's not like, oh, she comes and hits her or throws something at her. She's acting like a wild animal. Yeah, so that begs the question, why? Yeah, why? Why would that happen, huh? I mean, I have my theories, but <laughs> I'll let you finish the story. You can tell me your theory, but I can't. I won't tell you if you're right or wrong. Well, I mean, right now I'm between... Her nephew came, turned her to, into a vampire, and she ended up just, like, you know, transforming into this vampire and biting the neighbor, or she wasn't getting enough blood because she's old, and then she went off the rail. Like, I don't know. Those are my two guesses at the moment. Okay. Well, if anyone reads the book, you know, tell me well, the maybe. Maybe, maybe once I continue the story, you will kind of. Well, if I haven't figured it out, tell me in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the neighbor moves in. Actually, let's start from the beginning. When he moves, when he comes over, she starts feeling guilty for the woman dying, even though she was the one who got attacked. So she ends up wanting to like take him food. I don't know if it was casserole, but I'm assuming it was. <laughs> but she takes him food, right? That's how she meets him. And that's when we learn that she's a nurse, kind of, because she know she finds him on the bed and he's not breathing. So she starts giving him CPR. He he wakes up and he goes, What what are you doing? She's like, Oh my god, I could have sworn you weren't breathing. But then she kind of starts questioning, like, was I ever a good nurse? Like what what just happened? That's nurse one on one. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, she gives him food and then it all starts where somehow she invites him into her house even like i think he comes to the door and he starts talking to her while they're about to have dinner and then she kind of feels obligated to invite him in so she, he comes in there they have dinner and he pretty much starts making himself known yeah inserting himself 
There's the scene of um, mother-in-law. At one point, she sees him and she starts yelling, Coit something. She kept yelling a different name and she kept saying, no, that's him. But then obviously she has dementia. So they were and they weren't listening to her. Yeah, because that's not somebody from her past. Obviously, Patricia can't handle the teenage kids, the husband never being home and the the grand uh, the mother-in-law living there so she hires mrs green who is a woman woman of color she's black and she's the one who comes and starts taking care of the uh, taking care of the grandmother mary i think her name was i didn't write it down but i believe it was mary so she starts taking care of the mother-in-law but a lot of crazy things start happening and that's when, if you didn't think the ear part was disgusting, that's when more disgusting things starts happening. Like? <laughs> like bugs. Oh. And there's a lot of bugs in this book. There's a lot of cockroaches. You can't even say it. I'm already cringing with just the thought of it. I mean, I know, because you made me read the one part. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> I will tell people what happened. Okay. So Mrs. Green like experiences some crazy things at the house with the mother-in-law and and Patricia. So they all experience whatever is going on with bugs being attacked in in the house. But there's still obviously James inserting her himself with their family. So this is when Patricia invites him to the book club because when they're having dinner he starts talking about books and she feels like, oh my God, finally, you know, somebody that reads because her husband's never there. Like she doesn't really have anybody except the book club. So then Mrs. Green realizes that there are kids starting to go missing from her neighborhood. Patricia lives in the suburban rich area, white area, and she right. lives into the poor black neighborhood. And, and this book is set in the 80s, but late 80s, but mostly 90s. Like, they do mention the 80s, but it's 90s. And they are, it's kind of like, it showcases the diverse, like, the the division of the way both. Neighborhoods? Yeah. What, what happened was once, like, obviously, here, one kid and then second kid, and, you know, the kids start going missing. And not just missing, it, look, it seemed like the kids were going on drugs and then ending up killing themselves. But we're talking about like eight-year-olds or nine or ten. These children can't just kill themselves out of nowhere. You know what I mean? So well, not not in a large enough, you know, group. For all from the same neighborhood. Yeah. So then Patricia at one point even goes to Mrs. Green's house and goes into the neighborhood. And when she's walking to, I I, I think. I think it's a tra trailer house, like if I'm not mistaken. But when she is walking to her house, she hears the kids that were playing in the neighborhood singing weird songs. Like, I didn't write it down, but it was like a weird rhyme. You know, like those children rhymes you kind of shared on Facebook the other day? Yeah, the nursery rhyme. Yeah. So they had this little rhyme and it went like this. Boo daddy, boo daddy in the woods. Grab the little boy because he tastes so good. Boo daddy, boo daddy in the sheets. Sucking all your blood because it tastes so sweet. So as she's walking around, she can hear like these kids are literally chant like singing now. What, what is with nursery rhymes 
<laughs> when you like, have nothing else to do. <laughs> I don't like I get like turning like a tale or you know information into a rhyme form to remember, but why do we teach it to kids? I don't know. Nothing better to do, I'm telling you. Oh, maybe or maybe like I feel like kids also can remember a like a song form better than just straight history, but I like I don't know. Do they do we take heed? I like I'm singing Ring Around Rosies. I'm not thinking it's about a plague. So I have no like there was no connection there. But yeah. did these kids actually go no. oh so they weren't scared of a boogeyman is gonna take drink their blood? For this one, no, they were. Oh, they so, okay, so they did take heed to the nursery ride. Yeah, no, they knew what was happening and they were scared. And uh, throughout the story, the kids either died off. I know that sounds horrible, but either kids died or a lot of children were sent away or a lot of families moved away because that just wasn't feasible to live there. I mean, besides the crimes, there were other reasons of why they were pushed out of their own neighborhood. Gotcha. So Patricia goes to, when she's there, I think it's called Six Mile, the neighborhood, like where they are. So kids from Six Mile are going missing. She goes down to try to find this one little girl that she promises from Six Mile, like to her mom that I'm going to find your daughter. So she goes to find, as, as she's looking for her, she runs into, like she sees what's happening. And she catches the crime in action. And that's when she finally realizes that she should, like she needs to tell people. She needs to do something about it. So she goes and starts telling her book club. And nobody starts, like, nobody believes her. She still starts telling her husband nobody believes her. At this point, James inserted her, himself within everybody's, like, oh, the entire neighborhood. And not only that, he's doing business with people. He's making money for people and they just don't believe her like they don't they don't believe her at all like they push her to the edge and that's when like the story she finally she finally lets go and says like okay fine he's a good guy and then the story moves on to three years later now three years later obviously the mother-in-law is gone mrs green doesn't work for her anymore and not only doesn't work for her anymore, doesn't even talk to her anymore. They don't talk to each other. Everyone's like moved on. Nobody talks about the past and how she was accusing James. He still lives next door and he still always comes over. And even though she didn't completely trust him, she just let go and just lived her life with him. Three years? Yes. I don't know how I feel about a time gap. Yeah, I know. Hold on. We'll get to that. <laughs> Three years later, obviously, things start happening to her own kids. She's like, all right, screw this. What I, I used to think is has to be true. And she goes back to Mrs. Green. And this is when the whole Mrs. Green, like, oh, you know, once it's your kids, now you care. Which she has a point. But still, nobody believes her. So she's not, at this point, Mrs. Green and her are trying to convince her, um, her book club. But they need a proof. And that's when the whole cringy thing happened that you had to read for me. <laughs> and just to the listeners, just so you know, this book is so graphic. And um, 
It is so vivid. Every word describes every detail so perfectly that you can't help but imagine it. And when you imagine it, you're literally in in Patricia's place and everything that's happening to her is happening to you. And I have a horrible phobia of cockroaches. And there's an entire, uh, oh, I'm already itching just talking about this, but there's a scene where I'm not going to talk about it because you should read. It's like a kind of important scene, but there is cockroaches involved. And I had to, every word I was reading, I was kind of screaming and cringing. And I had to like, I almost quit reading this book because of that chapter. And I had to take a picture of it and send it to Renee and be like, please read this to me and then tell me, not to me, read it and then tell me what happened without telling me anything about the cockroach. I <laughs> don't like bugs, but I could easily read that chapter. It was it was a very graphic. <laughs> the bugs were going places they should not have. <laughs> oh god, I'm like cringing. <laughs> but yeah, I I read it and it just gave her a brief summary of what happened. I had no idea who any of the names were, but I got the gist of that little scene she was hiding. I um I pretty much was crying internally. <laughs> but honestly, the book was so interesting and I needed to know more that I had to have somebody read it for me. There was no way I was going to quit it. But let me tell you, I almost did. <laughs> I do not do cockroaches, guys. <laughs> no, just don't involve cockroaches. Like, any bug is fine. Just don't do cockroaches. Yeah, they're pretty creepy. I don't like, I don't like, well, I don't like bugs, period. But I can't, I, I'm more so of a physical. I can't, it can't be, it out of sight, out of mind is what I tell spiders when I see them. Yeah. Like, you can roam the house anywhere you want as long as I don't see you. Because once I see you, then I gotta take care of you. Yeah, you have to die. Because now you're there and then I'm worried about you coming in and sneak it on my face in the middle of the night. So you got to die. Yeah. So then I, this is where I'm going to stop telling you the story because now oh. it's three years later and now it's on her to actually get people Take to believe out. her. Yeah. Get, get people to believe her and get the book club because clearly her husband is a piece of crap and uh, a man who doesn't believe his wife that much should not be married to her. God, I hate him. <laughs> Do they get a divorce at the end? I can't tell you that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but he's, so, he, he's not nice. Go on. So this vampirism or whatever, like, he's a vampire, I'm assuming. Uh, the neighbor's nephew or son. I mean, I don't think that's a spoiler. It's literally in the title. Yeah, no, no, no. So what I'm saying is, like, we've consumed a lot of vampire things. Very. And this vampire seems to bite people or infect them when he drinks their blood, I'm guessing, and they go crazy? Is that so what's happening? I'll tell you. It's pretty much, yes, she, he is... Um... He, he sucks the blood out of children, and it's pretty much to keep him young. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so that's what it is. But the whole point of this vampire is that 
the hunger will never stop. No matter what, he will never stop eating. So even though he inserts himself to these families and becomes their friends, he's never going to be their friends. He's never going to have that kind of emotions because he's always going to be hungry. He's always going to eat. So that's this kind of vampire. So he probably wouldn't be one that uh, that had any redeeming qualities for me. So it's not. Oh no, <laughs> no. It's just it's a monster. This is a monster. Yeah. Straight up monster. It is not Klaus. <laughs> that's that's weird though, because when you make villains, they tell you to make him relatable so people can like the villain and kind of sympathize with the villain and understand where the villain is coming from. But this one doesn't seem to have that that same structure. No, it's just a monster. He's out to get them. Yeah. It's like not just physically, but also mentally. He's just going to manipulate and mentally drain the person before he physically drains them. That's the kind of monster this one is. Yeah. There was a TV show that was based off of a book called Midnight. Did you watch that with me? I don't think so. I don't, it doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, it was like the main character's grandmother passed away and he, they went back to Midnight, Texas, maybe? And it had all types of creatures. Um, a vampire, a shapeshifter, a witch, you know. And it sounds like True Blood. Yeah, but this this one was good. The vampire here... His gimmick, because he wasn't your typical vampire, he fed on emotions. And, and yeah, and, and children's blood. Well, no, he didn't. Yeah, that's what, that's what made me think about him, because he actually just fed on emotions and not blood. Oh, you're talking about the character. Sorry. Yeah, in Midnight, he, he fed on emotions. And then, you know, in his book, he fed on emotions, but he also needed the blood. But the, at midnight, yeah. he didn't need the blood, which I, I think don't... is an interesting concept. That was the first time I ran into, I believe anyway, where a vampire need like feeds on the emotions. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever watched that show. Got to no, check it, was, it out. It was good. No, well, you won't want it. It was canceled, so you don't. Oh, one of those. Yeah, it was good before it, well, I don't it get canceled, but you it's know, always good before they cancel. I think a lot of things are good before they cancel. <laughs> uh, like a Terra Nova, I'm still upset about that. I was just thinking about that because <laughs> it was like, it was so good. It's so and good. They, they, we learned that they canceled because of the budget. Like, why? Why, why make a show that, yeah, like, why create something that you know is going to need a lot of budget, like a high budget? And make it amazing and then cancel after one season. I am so upset. I am so yeah. upset about Terra Nova. I disagree with that decision wholeheartedly. Like, no. Yeah, that was a... I don't... I didn't like that one at all. Yeah. But okay, what do you rate this? I just want to say that I did like how the book showed the dynamic of the real life where, you know, no one cares, where people of color's children disappearing or they get hurt until, you know, it comes home to the white suburban neighborhood. And that's when people do anything in their power to figure out what's happening. So I like that it showcased that. I think it was, it was gory, but in a way, oh, this is going to sound weird, but it was light, but not. <laughs> 
So I liked all of that. I, I liked how it showcased the misogyny, the sexism. Um, I think the husband was disgusting. I think most of the husbands in this entire book are disgusting. I think the wives are uh, horribly trained to be like the Stepford wives. So it kind of that the way it portrayed that was also nice. So I'm going to rate this book four and a half stars. Okay. The reason why I don't give that half is because I honestly could not stand the husband. Like I have, it's just, no, I can't. Like he was disgusting to me. He was more disgusting than James. I kind of want to know what he did to be super disgusting, but I also want to ask like, so it would, would that not showcase the author's talent that he made this character so, you know, someone you hated so much? Was that his point to make a character you would hate so much? I'm pretty sure his point was to showcase the misogyny between um, Stepford wives or Stepford life, where the wife has to showcase, you know, the pretty little life and the husband is rarely ever home. And even when he is, he doesn't take the wife seriously. Or whatever the wife says is not is doesn't it's not of importance. Not only that, he devalues her in a sense that oh, you're just a housewife. What do you do all day? He just doesn't seem like a good husband, like a good person. Maybe he's the true villain in the book. Maybe. I mean, I, I yeah, he's not the only one. I think a lot, most men are in the book. In the book, maybe that's the the point of this book to show how men are. Maybe not villains, but I mean, not maybe not monsters, but they aren't great either. Yeah, literally, I wrote this um, three years later when things come too close to comfort. Uh, she tries once again to convince her book club to help, knowing her husband would be useless, pretty much. That is sad. But true. <laughs> I do not wish for uh, that relationship dynamic. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not a good. I th- this is the type of marriage that sh- it shouldn't be a marriage. It's not a marriage. Okay, four point five stars isn't bad. So that you know that's pretty good. I think that's the second highest. Yeah, I think so. It was a really good book, minus the whole cockroach thing. That was fun. <laughs> but I like the detail that he went into uh, the. Is this author a male or a female? A male. Wasn't wasn't it so vivid? Yeah, it was. Like, he he was writing all types of, <laughs> I won't tell you because, you know, but yeah. No, I, I, I know. I know what he wrote. I just, <laughs> I know. But no, <laughs> that was the worst thing I've read. <laughs> but so beautifully written that it was so real. Yeah, it was, it was good. I like that. And I'm like, oh my god, he didn't have to like. <laughs> do you know what that feeling is like? Because that's and, what it sounds like. And you really wrote to me, and you said, "Well, he didn't have to." He, well, that didn't need to be said. <laughs> yeah, because it was like he he you didn't have to put that there. But you can imagine me. I'm like reading word by word, and I kept like trying to convince myself, "You can do it. You can do it." And then. Every sentence just kept getting worse and worse. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. How do you think it felt for the how do you think it felt for the main character living it? I felt like I was her in that moment. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I broke out in rush. <sighs> All right. So 
4.5 stars. Is this going on your try? Yeah. And also, he has a different book, right? So this is, I think, the second part of the same universe. And he has a different book, apparently. And it's the point of view of the kids. And the I'm assuming... I think Patricia... Well, yeah. Patricia has kids, I believe. Oh, okay. And it's called My Best Friend's Exorcism. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. Sorry. But it, it it's not her... It's not her kids, I don't think, because it says, my best friend's exorcism. This is what he said. I'm going to read his note. A few years ago, I wrote a book called My Best Friend's Exorcism about two teenage girls in Charleston, South Carolina in 1988, at the height of the satanic panic. They, became, they become convinced, sorry, they become convinced that one of them is possessed by Satan and consequently, consequently things go poorly. That novel was written from the point of from the teenage point of view, and so the parents seem awful because that's how parents seem when you're a teenager. But there's another version of that story it's told from the parents' point of view about how helpless you feel when your kid is in danger. I wanted to write a story about those parents, and so and so the Southern Book Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampire was born. It is not a sequel to My Best Friend's Exorcism, but it takes place in the same neighborhood a few years later where I grew up. Hmm. Interesting, right? But it gets better. Do you want me to read the rest? Because it's, no, it's not that long, but it's really nice. Okay. So he said, when I was a kid, I didn't take my mom seriously. She was a housewife who was in a book club, and she and her friends were always running errands and driving carpool and forcing us to follow rules that didn't make sense. They just seemed like a bunch of lightweights. Today, I realize how many things they were dealing with that I was totally unaware of. They took the hits so we could skate up by obliviously, because that's the deal. As a parent, you endure pain so your children don't have to. This is also a book about vampires. They're the iconic, sorry, they're the iconic American archetype of the rambling men wearing denim, wandering from town to town with no past and no ties. Think Jack Couric, think Shane, think Woody Guthrie, think Ted Bundy. Because vampires are the original serial killers skipped off, sorry, because vampires are the original serial killers stripped off, stripped of everything that makes us human. They have no friends, no family, no roots, no children. All they have is hunger. They eat and eat, but they're never full. With this book, I wanted to pit a man freed from all responsibilities, but his appetites against women whose lives are shaped by their endless responsibilities. I wanted to pit Dracula against my mom. As you'll see, it's not a fair fight. And then the story starts. The way you describe James is very monster like like he didn't have any of those emotions or feelings or a care there's no type of humanity in him no he's there for the hunger yeah which makes which which is why i'm like maybe he wasn't the true villain you know like maybe it's something else like it doesn't always have to be a physical villain like something else is the problem the main problem here i mean i think you already called that out but i'm not gonna say what no okay <laughs> okay but tell me you tell me i'm right but maybe no no it, you're right but i think point, you guessed it <laughs> i don't know i've been guessing a lot tonight i don't know what i guess i mean 
I told you there's somebody who's an a-hole. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. what kind of a husband doesn't believe his wife and pretty much makes her feel like she's crazy? Like anything she sees doesn't is not accounted for because she doesn't trust her, he doesn't believe her. What kind of husband does that? Well, I hope they do end it up end in divorce or something. You should really read this book. Maybe. Does it have an audio? I'm sure. Then I might pick up the audio. You know me. Any, anything else? No, I think that's it. So that's it for this episode. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening. Bye. Now that we wrapped up this episode, grab a book and make the rest of your week lit. You can find us on Instagram at Bookshrine or on Twitter at the book underscore shrine. Tell us what you think we should read next. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please leave a rating and review. It really helps us to keep going. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when we release the next episode. Until next time, Book Shrine is produced by Lolly and myself. Editing done by me. Theme music comes from Rick Wilson. So this week I read the Southern. Uh, so, the do. That's what I read. Yep. Sounds <laughs> interesting. So this week I read the Southern's. No. Oh my God. Okay. The Southern. Okay. Sorry, you're not gonna put this at the end. <laughs> okay the southern book oh my god okay this week we read no